Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Product Coalition podcast. Uh, this is the third in the Sydney-based series of product management podcasts. I'm joined today by Anthony Murphy. Welcome. Yeah, well, Great thanks. to have you here. Yeah. It's going to be good. Uh, we, today we're going to be chatting about ethics in product, which is going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that. But before we do, I want to give a shout out to BrainMates, who's the Sydney location sponsor for Product Coalition for this podcast series. Uh, BrainMates is a product management training and consulting team in Australia, New Zealand and Denver, USA. Find out more about the BrainMates three-day course for product folks on the 9th of December in Denver at www.brainmates.com.au. If you've just discovered the Product Coalition, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're a global product management community that started out as, the, as a publication called productcoalition.com. Product Coalition has since grown to 5,000 product managers over on Slack, and you can grab an invite at productcoalition.com uh, if you want to join us on Slack. If you want to watch this podcast, visit YouTube and search for Product Coalition and give us a follow there. And we're 100% funded by community support. So if you'd like to support the podcast, the publication, or the Slack community, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash productco. Anthony, welcome. Yeah, thanks. Great to have you here. Um, yeah, I'm really enjoying chatting to Sydney people. It's weird, it is a different vibe chatting to Sydney people, to, yeah, yeah. to Melbourne people, and really? it's all product management. Yeah, um, but uh, no, it's, it's really good. We're going to be chatting today around ethics in product. Uh, I love this, is a completely different angle, um, so going to get stuck into that. But before we do, much like the Melbourne series, uh, Sydney series, I've gone pub quiz for the questions. So, um, are you, out of interest, you born and bred Sydney? Yeah, yeah. I yeah? like Blue Mountains, so like west of Sydney. Right, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, this is going to be a good test of your local <laughs> knowledge then. Um, although, looking at the question, you've got some easier ones, I must say, I think, than, than some of the other guests. But we'll see, we'll see how we go. Okay. Um, and this is all on the assumption that my internet source is telling truth. So, top six languages spoke in, spoken in Sydney. Wow. Top six. English has got to be one of them, right? Yep. Um, Ding. I'm going to go Cantonese is another one. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Indian? No. Uh, what else is there? Uh, Hindi, no. Uh, yeah, Hindi, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot of French people. Not no, enough. Not, not enough Italian? to make the top I'm just, six. I'm just making random. Italian, random, so random close. Now. But also oh, Spanish. No, <laughs> when you said close. I was like, it's got to be, got to be around there, right? Well, European, uh, yeah. There's, there's another European uh, country in it. All right, I'll, I'll let you off. Okay, okay. so, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if they're in this order, what but yeah. English, Arabic, Cantonese, Arabic. Mandarin, Greek, Greek. Oh, that's the one. A little further and south, yeah. Vietnamese. Yeah. There we go. Okay, staying on the international theme. Um, longest line of pizzas record. In the world was created uh, here in Australia. Um, firstly, can you guess the suburb that happened in? Pizzas. Pizzas. Italy. Leichhardt. Leichhardt? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I was thinking around the, yeah. Um, I was like east or south, somewhere around there. Okay, now now is the stab in the dark one for you. Number of meters long, this longest line of pizzas in the world was. Were these like individual pizzas or like one pizza? Nah, individual. Individual. Yeah. Line of pizzas. Well, they might have been like their meter long ones. You, you yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just yeah. been easy to measure. Um, I'm going to complete stab in the dark. Right, yeah. I'm going <laughs> to just go like, I don't know, 400 meters. Not bad. 
221. Oh, yeah. There you go. Um, I thought this would be a little bit topical and... I'm not sure if it's accurate, but most played sport in Sydney. Most played. <laughs> rugby comes to mind. But Which format? Yeah, so it would be rugby league. No. No? Cricket, apparently. Cricket. Yeah. Cricket. Yeah. Sydney. I don't know if that includes, like, grassroots and... See, I would have expected cricket to be more of a Melbourne. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. Um, caught me off. I wasn't expecting credit. Yeah, um, to get to know you a bit more personally, favourite spot by the water in Sydney? Favourite spot by the water? Oh, it's got to be the rocks down in Sydney. So near yep. Circular Quay, yeah, across the side. Just because don't feel like you're in the city anymore. Awesome pubs down there as well. Yeah, favourite pub? Favourite pub? Oh, that's a few good pubs. Uh, Lord Nelson in the rocks is great. Um, the Glenmore Hotel in the rocks has got the best rooftop. So that's for the rooftop. Yeah, yep. excellent. Yep. Rooftop. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, for anyone listening outside of Sydney around the world, definitely recommend uh, get get down there. Especially on a sunny day like today. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Lovely. Um, okay, and favourite meetup or conference in Sydney? I can be a little biased and say lead, leading the product because I spoke there <laughs> last week <laughs> as conference. Uh, meetup. Uh, product, product tank is always good here. Yep. Um, yeah. These guys put on product talks as well, which is really good. Right. Um, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, let's get stuck into it. Pro- mm. um, ethics in product. Mm. Um, can, can I first, let's get this going. Um, tell me why this this was a meaningful topic for you to chat about today. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it's, to me, this is a topic that I'm pretty passionate about. Um, I really got into this probably a couple of years ago. I worked with a designer Um worked with some brilliant designers in, in the past and he got me on to a lot of things like Humane Centre Design. So there's a whole institute for that. You can go to Humane Tech. I think it's humanetech.com or something like that. Um, and and around the whole philosophy that, especially in design, especially in product, right? We The products that we build, especially today, have a huge impact in our lives. I mean, we've got mobile phones in our pockets. We're on the internet. Um, it's, it's proliferated. It's infiltrated our lives. So therefore, the products that we build can have a radical impact on, on us. And then us as those who are the crafters and the, the people who, who build that, um, we have a huge responsibility and we start to shift towards being more of a responsibility class that we bear this responsibility to, to do things in the right way. And I remember he framed it really well. He said, you know, the way we do our products, um, we, we obviously, a lot of it's around behavioral science and behavioral economics and all that. Um, and we can either exploit human vulnerabilities in order to basically make our product sticky and, and to, you know, um, make a profit and all that. Or we could try and use them for the best and try and amplify human good. And um, that, like, just to me, really spoke to me, spoke to my heart. Um, and I think the more and more products become really infiltrated and really part of our lives, I mean, you've got people with, you know, uh, Alexas, Google Homes, I mean, they're all, like, we're starting to move towards being a completely connected house, right? Yep. Um, and then suddenly the, pro- the products that you build have a huge impact. And, um, yeah, it's either, like, we can, you know, technology's climbing and are we dehumanising, like, going down, uh, or are we kind of going together and letting technology amplify us? And, and yeah, for de- definitely for us who, who are crafters of product and have a, have a say in that, yeah, it's a huge responsibility for us and it's important, I think, yeah. It was great to be talking yeah. about it. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Can I ask, Anthony, um, what's been your path, what was your path to product? Oh, my path is a uh, – it's funny because, like, I don't think anybody has a typical path in the product. It's um, one of those things that 
we all kind of come from different backgrounds and I think that's great. It makes it really diverse. Um, so I started out out of uni, I was an engineer, wrote some code, um, did some Java and all that. I decided to go completely left field out of that. I joined the military. Um, right. Yeah, I went to the Royal Military College down in Canberra, um, trained to be a leader. And when I think about my product journey, I think there's two kind of probably key moments um, for me. One of them was in uni. Uh, I did, did business and IT and I had to do a marketing subject and I dreaded it. That's the business side. I was like, oh, marketing spawn of the earth, you know, <laughs> try and convince us to buy things yeah. that we don't need. And then I got into it and then got really into behavioral economics. And I think right. me personally, I got a bit of a passion around psychology and understanding how, how, how we kind of work. Um, so I got really interested and then I ended up doing heaps of marketing subjects after that and behavioral consumer behavior subjects and all that. And then the second defining moment was probably in the military. And I came out of the military, I got a role as a BA and I was a product owner, I worked in a scrum team. But even then, I don't think that was really, I think I was still kind of like, you know, trying to get to the grips of it. Um, kind of got into scrum mastering, went down the agile path, but then I started to, uh, you know, I've been fortunate, I've always kind of worked on digital um, consumer and kind of products and worked with heaps of designers and started to just naturally gravitate towards that side of the fence, get really into the discovery side of the world. Um, and that's when that's when I really started going deep into product, and then ever since then, pretty much haven't looked back. Right. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, before we jump in into the, this topic, I'm keen, keen to know from from that military experience, what what still stands true to you today f- from that as as such a significant early yeah. part of the context yeah. that, that has formed you into a product manager? Yeah, heaps. I mean, it's 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 funny. People always find this as a very interesting topic. I find it as an interesting topic. Um, the way, at least this was my perspective of how I learned, how I interpreted my learning, I should say. Um, you know, leadership in the military, is the, it's different to how I think people, it's changed a lot. People people still think really hierarchy, command and control, tell, tell everybody yeah. what to do. And it's not so much like that. Um, more so as a leader in the military, and I shouldn't say leader because everyone's a leader in the military, and that's one of the really right. good things about it, um, at least in the Australian Army, to try and promote that. Um, you're an, an appointment of a commander. So your role is more about creating the conditions for your platoon, your team, think of it that way, to succeed. Not to tell them what to do because they're the experts. Um, right, and so okay. it's a very similar relationship between, say, a product manager and the, the product team. They're the experts. You're not trying to dictate how to do the work. But what you're doing is you're giving them the tools to succeed. And you do that via you know, the roadmap, by giving vision, by giving them an end state, a goal, an OKR to kind of strive towards um, and then help them with culture, help them with you know, stakeholder management and all that. And yeah, you're, you're more behind the scenes, doing wheeling and dealing so they can just get on with the job. Right. Um, and it's much more about providing the conditions and then giving them autonomy to succeed. Um, yeah. And then that's kind of really rung true and it just kind of continues. So I like to say I kind of, in a way, learnt product from the military. Yeah, That's a fascinating analogy. Yeah. Um, can I ask, is there standout experiences that, that you had in the military that, that you pull back upon um, as you're working in, in desk side now as a civilian? Yeah, I think um, a few. Um, some of the defining stuff for me is... Um, one around the concept of the commander's intent, which right. is um, really about how do I provide, paint a picture of the end state, um, give them goal, a goal, and then enable the autonomy to achieve that. And how you paint that pit end state is, is very specific. It's got to be vivid. It's got to be kind of um, uh, attainable. It's got to be, you know, they should be able to see it. It should be clearly articulated. It should be concise. 
um, you think about your vision statements and you think about even goals and objectives, they, sh- they should, all those things start to ring true. Um, so I think I draw upon that a lot, uh, as well as um, it being more the what as opposed to the how. Right. Um, and not even that, more like that's what the end state is. It's not even so much the what, more of the why, if that makes sense. Um, the other things I kind of draw upon a lot is uh, more on, uh, maybe there's three things. One of them is around communication. You start to realise that communication is, is paramount. Uh, you, need to, you need to talk to the team, you need to talk to the stakeholders. And, and often people, especially in the civilian world, they, they say, oh, but I said it. Why didn't they, why didn't they hear me? Why didn't they understand it? Um, you know, I, I've said it five times now and they get frustrated about it. But part of, part of it, that's the role, right, is, is you're kind of like, you're the glue that binds everything together. So in order to achieve that, you need to communicate a lot. You need to continuously remind them, why are they here? Why are we doing these things? Um, yeah, so, yeah, I draw upon that. And the, the third one that I was thinking of was around more just the kind of leadership practices around how do I build rapport with somebody? How do I build respect and and, and all that? And right, There's okay. a few little tricks of the trade that kind of pull through there. <laughs> I, I can also, and forgive me for yeah, no, running with assumptions it, yeah. here, I can, I can also assume that in the environment of the military in either an exercise or in the heat of battle mm. um, as an individual and as a leader, um, there's so many variables outside of your control. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, wind, rain, weather yeah. conditions, yeah. the the enemy, uh, you know, the, the game you're trying to win yep. essentially. Um, is, so, is some of that sort of conditioning of that you're going to get unexpected things yeah. come left field? Yeah. I helped you along the way as yeah, well? Yeah, I think so. I definitely like uh, built resilience and just right. makes you resilience, under- great understand yeah. that um, uncertainty. You know, we talk in the military when you think about when you learn warfare theory, um, such a thing, uh, you you learn about like the enduring features of war and one of them is, is essentially uncertainty or chance. Right. Um, and sometimes people put in the phrase of the enemy gets a vote, um, but also the weather gets a vote, the terrain gets a vote. Um, so yeah, you're always going to get the unexpected and just to be able to accept that and also learn how to deal with it. And I think that's where autonomy and not dictating and painting the clear picture of the end state kind of comes into it because you're inevitably going to run into hurdles, but the more you allow the people who are the closest to the information to make a decision and get around that hurdle, the, um, you know, that's how you get to the, that's how you succeed. That's how you get to the goal. Not one person in a tent, which, you know, was once upon a time, like World War One and stuff. You think about that one person in a tent making mm. all the decisions or people, yeah. people on the you know, front line being like, this is ridiculous. Why, why would we do that? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Learn from mistakes, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> well, in that instance, very expensive mistakes. Yes. Um, okay, let, let's, yeah. let's jump into the topic. <laughs> this, this is awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, um, so so uh, ethics and, look, I suppose, let's, let's go really high first. Yeah. Why is it important in, in product and how do you see it generally shaping product landscape as it is today? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I talked a little bit about, um, about some of it too. And I guess just to tie the two topics together a bit as well, you know, ethic called decision-making and, and um, ethics and, and leadership is kind of a lot of that I learned in the military too. You know, they teach you the difference between ethics and morals and, and how to make ethics. Do you mind just explain that? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll tell you what, a couple <laughs> of months ago, I, um, I was looking at a decision framework and I needed to make sure that the decisions were both ethical, moral and legal. Yeah. Um, and I really, like we use these words yeah. quite freely and easily, but yeah. I, was, I, I did have to Google a pure definition. Do you want to just talk for yeah, the audience yeah, for through sure. that? So, so ethical is, is usually a guideline. So ethical decision-making is uh, you are abiding by, let's say in a military context, it's like the Geneva Convention or the rules of engagement from a okay. 
product point of view, your ethical decisions is, um, am I going to get sued for this? Like, is it, is it lawful, right? Um, um, if you're working in a regulatory environment, is it, you know, am I adhering to those regulator requirements? Um, as well as what's, you know, just, you know, things like freedom of speech and am I still adhering to the ethical um, guidelines that are actually set by government bodies and all that. Moral decision-making is your own personal compass, right? So that's you. Nobody can tell you whether it's moral or not. People can tell you whether it's ethical or not because that's what you go to court for, um, but they can't. moral is your own compass. So then this is where you, in the military, we talk about the 60-minute test. So how right. 60 minutes is a current affair program in Australia, yep. um, for those who don't know. And basically it's like, well, how would this look? How would your decision look on, on the front page or... Six, headline 60 Minutes. Uh, you and can and to give some context, this is it's like a sort of almost, I wouldn't say paparazzi, but they're, they're taking the extremes yeah, of yeah. a situation yes. and um, glamorising it as much as possible yeah. for viewership. Yes, yeah, okay. yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, and then you got some probably more relevant, like more relatable ones for people outside of Australia, like you got the grandma test. Right. Um, how would, would you be proud to tell your grandma about this? Um, right, would yeah. It, would, it, would it make it past her moral compass? Um, yeah, so. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, so that's kind of like the, yeah, the difference, yeah. Sure. And, and within the world of product management, uh, yeah. where are you seeing that have impact? Yeah, so, you know, I was talked about before how, you know, products are kind of proliferated into our lives or it's having this huge impact. You can, you see it already on the news, you know, Instagram at the moment, or Facebook, I should say, is is trialing, hiding likes. We've um, in, started in Australia, it's starting to, it's starting to scale that, but um, that's in response to obviously a whole bunch of, um, you know, welfare for teenagers in particular. Not saying that it's um, only contained in them, but, you know. Um, yep. Yeah, so... So you can see it's starting to have an impact. Um, you know, I, I know I see it myself. I'm like, am I always checking my phone? Why am I pulling my phone out? I didn't do anything with it. I just like looked at the time and I like unlocked it. But that's that's already an addiction and a habit. Um, yeah, so it, it infiltrates our lives. And the more and more that um, gets to the stage where it's not just our phones, it starts to become, you know, um, our, our homes, it becomes our cars, it becomes how we use all that, then it's uh, it has a real impact there's a real causation between those products and how we use them and the impact on people's lives yeah i I recently um read that uh, and i believe it was australian households um it's in in total number of in the average australian household is 13 devices connected connected to the internet um and so i actually sat down yeah i'll count in mine now let's do a bit of data analysis on myself and um i I was about 13 or 14 um it was very surprising yeah Uh, i I wouldn't be surprised if i was close to that number as well yeah and obviously the the devices the the privacy that we give these devices is it feels like um is opening up more and more particularly with the smart assistants or the home assistants listening and Mm. and Obviously, over here in Australia, you can now do the phone calls through the smart system yeah. through Google, yeah. Google Home, etc. So, so for you, where where are you where are you seeing the lines start to cross? I suppose with with regards to ethics. Yeah, so it's it's really hard to give a give a like direct answer to that. But I guess uh, uh, on a whole, you know, we we are because. These things are infiltrating our lives. People, we're starting to just become more savvy around it, right? And we're starting to move into a class of people where, you know, we're becoming more sensitive about privacy. We start to ask the questions: uh, Hey, is that recording me in the background? Yep. Um, why is it? Why should it? 
and not to say that that's crossing a line. I think that's one for either some legal body to decide. Um, but I also just think it's also about down to the individual. Some people are more forgiving. They're like, oh, I'm completely okay with it. I don't care. Um, and other people, uh, they, they see that as a crossing the line, right? They're like, you know, that's, that's too far. So, but I think those ones are probably an interesting one. I think listening in, you see that for sure. Uh, the other ones that I think are just really, uh, not really maybe concerning, but you see gamification has been around for a long time, right? And yep. the, the ability, that's a perfect example of exploiting human vulnerability, right? right. We get a dopamine hit, <laughs> we want more of it, and we kind of come back for more. And people in the gambling industry has been applying this for decades, if not centuries, um, and it's starting to make its way into, into uh, well, it was contained at one point in time because it was either on your console or it was on your computer. So you were confined to a certain space and a certain time that you could use it. Now that it's infiltrated its way into our iPads, our mobile phones, we're no longer confined to those things. So then these addictions become, um, yeah, I guess the impact is greater. Not to say it's any worse than before, but the impact is greater. So then therefore you've got to start to consider, yeah, that impact. Yeah. Consumes more hours of our day. It certainly yeah. has greater bandwidth than yeah. ever before yeah. um, in fact but I think this morning I was reading about um, Spotify have released a kids specific version app of Spotify today yeah. so, so something like that where we start to then look at the age and the impact of a product at certain ages let's talk through that you know um, Spotify have built a, a, a specific app just for children. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Hey, there's, um, you see that going around. I remember there's a bank that in the UK, I remember seeing it. Um, we had a few chats right. um, because, you know, I work with some people that in the banking and they the, the app was a basically a banking app for kids and it was to help them to understand smart money management and all that, which in a way, ethically point of, or moral point of mm. view as well, that's that's not bad. You want to help them educate them about money so then later on they're, they're greater equipped to handle that. But then at the same time, it's like, well, you create, giving a bank account to a kid, depending on the age, um, obviously there's some ethical things around that around certain ages. They can't go too low. You can't give it to a two-year-old, for example. Um, but, you know, there's there's also another side of that, which is, you know, customer lifetime value. If I can get them in young, then great, awesome customer lifetime value. They're going to continue to use our products. They're going to get home loan. They're going to get credit cards, everything when they, when they come to age. Um, so on one hand, sure, there's this great thing, help them get money smart. But on the other hand, it's like, well, are we exploiting kids in order to increase, because it's a great customer lifetime yep. um, value if we can get them in young yep. early, especially, if, you know, and, and also getting their parents in because that's one of the reasons why the parents might join that bank. It's like, oh, cool, I can do this thing for my kid. So then it's like, well, what are you? what is the main driver behind, behind that product? Is it to actually better help kids? Well, you know, you could probably do that by not actually giving them a physical bank account, Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, or is it that you were trying to get them in young so then you can then have that customer lifetime? And that's where that moral thing kind of comes in, right? Are you, are you, yeah. Definitely. And for those listening around the world, um, I mean, this is this particular instance of banking is a great mm. one because um, we've had a Royal Commission here in Australia oh, that yeah. is exposed exactly this type of practice um, that one of what we call our big four banks in Australia um, for for decades was going into schools and incentivizing schools to introduce their banking program for children. The schools got 
commissions out of it from what I remember. Um, if you Google the barefoot investor, he certainly sort of has brought this to the surface and continues daily to sort of share what's happened in that industry. Um, and, and the outcome was that savings accounts were introduced to seven-year-olds and yeah. credit cards without any form of request were turning up in the post as that seven-year-old became a 17-year-old and all of a sudden they had a basically free money. I mean, yeah. I remember what a credit card meant to me at 17 yeah. years uh, old. Yeah, I feel like um, all my all the people that I went to school with, as soon as they hit 18, if somebody didn't max out a credit card, they'll probably like... Yeah, uh, anomaly. Yeah, <laughs> well, they're probably one of those sort of thirty-five, forty-year-olds who are now retired. Yeah, incredibly yeah, true, true. Yeah. Doing better <laughs> than the, the rest day. of us. Um, yeah, so uh, I think that you touched on a point there, which is what's the metric? What, yeah. Why? And I, and I suppose then um, it's easy to create a metric without considering the ethical impact mm. that metric may have, um, such as time on site or time in app or those types of things. Can you talk about how do you think about that as a product manager day to day? How do you handle that? Yeah, so I think, yeah, I mean, uh, typically I I come back to that grammar or 60-minute test too, right? So um, is the thing that we're chasing, that objective, that that metric or whatnot – does that, does that, would I be, would I be proud to go to my grandma and say, hey, look, you know, we're, um, I'd definitely be proud to go to her and tell her that, look, we're helping all these kids um, be, you know, money smart and they're going to, they're going to be better for it, more financially savvy and, and everything. But if you come down and said, I just made the bank $2 billion because, you know, we got all these kids in when they were really young. Yeah, you probably, that's probably not going to pass the test. The, the, the other part of it too is sometimes um, you, things are unintended, like, um, Think about this. I'm making an assumption on this too because I don't know Mark Zuckerberg, but I'm assuming that when he created Facebook, he never intended it to. You know, you think about the Cambridge Analytica thing around swaying the yes. election and stuff. I don't think he ever intended for that to happen. Never intended for for people to steal other people's ID uh, um, IDs through it. Never expected all those things. And sometimes um, it just it happens. But again, I think the the bit that shifts, and especially as a product manager, and this is maybe coming back time back to two with some of the leadership stuff I learned in the military is, even if it's unintended, you got to assume responsibility for it, and you got to um, do something about it. And it, it may suck, and it may be detrimental to you, but that's um, that comes with the job. Yeah, right? Right. and that's okay. that's how the job is changing, and the climate is changing that way, and we. We need to accept that. So sometimes you're going to pick a metric and mm. it's going to have unintended consequence. And um, I guess the, the key there is to try and pick up that unintended consequence. If it's a negative one, sometimes it's a good one and that's fine. Uh, early enough and to actually you know, take responsibility over it and actually try and rectify it. That's, I think that's the, the key part, yeah. Yeah, yeah very good point. Mm. Uh, for me, what's running through my mind here is, is uh, product managing a, a Product managing a product, you've got quite a lot of control. But for the Facebook example, yeah, product managing yeah. product managing an ecosystem, especially mm. the breadth and depth of, of Facebook, um, so much outside of your control. One one of the things with, with ethics specifically, and, and we touched on how how they're set and created and agreed to, um, either locally, nationally, or internationally. Um, if I if I think about someone like Uber. Yep. Entered Australia, um, lots of blockades by taxis yeah. um, and um, and people boycotting, people trying to surface them up as doing, as, well, going beyond ethics and into breaking the law. Yeah. Um, but Uber still entered the country. And it, and it could be argued that um, the ethics just weren't up to date 
with technology. Um, what, what's your thoughts on you know, ethics and keeping them up to date so that humanity does still get the best out of the technology that's available to us? When I think about the positive social benefit that Uber may have introduced to people using Uber, I appreciate if you're a taxi driver in yeah. Australia, you, w- you wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a very it's, – it's definitely an important question too. Um, unfortunately, they, a lot of a lot of times with these types of things, they tend to be after the fact. Um, we try and be as proactive as possible, but laws just naturally, by nature, have to follow um, follow suit. It's only until something happens that we actually manage to get people to sit down and have a conversation about it and actually amend the laws. I think as long as as a whatever body, a government body and stuff, and as a society, as long as we're actually sitting down and reviewing them and changing them, um, I like to hope we're okay. And we, we still maintain to get the benefits out of it. But to be able to proactively be like, um, oh, somebody's going to do you know, collaborative consumption around ride sharing and, and that's going to come into our country in like the next two years. Like you just can't, you can't predict that. And that's just the nature of the beast. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering maybe um, regulatory or legal bodies need more product managers. Uh, yeah, definitely. Bring a product mindset to regulation um, and legal, legal setting. Um, this has been great, Anthony. Yeah, thanks. Really enjoyed talking about something different for a product manager. Yeah. Had, good, had good fun? Yeah, yeah. Time's flown as yeah, well. Nice, yeah. It's been, been awesome. Day. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, let's, uh, let's set up another, another recording. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this has been great. Thank you to um, yourself yeah. for, for joining me here in Sydney. Uh, thank you to everyone watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast. And a special thank you to BrainMates as the location sponsor uh, here in Sydney for me recording all of these called uh, all of these recordings i look forward to sharing another guest with you all very soon thank you very much thank you